This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm Jonathan Carlo, the editor of the site. We've got a full house today. Kyle Gauss, Javon Edmonds, Caden Steele, and our guest, He's always been so kind with his time uh, and joining us again on the scoop. The, the season opener is what, 12, 12 days away, right, Jimmy? Uh, 11 or 12, I think. Yep. Yeah. November 7th, season opener. And Jimmy Fennerty, Temple assistant coach, is with us again on the scoop to talk some basketball and give you a scan of this program heading into the season. Jim, we, we always start our, our goofy little tradition is, so it's episode 13, fate, we go famous number 13s. Famous number 13, what jumps out to you? It's a great question. I don't know. Could was be any Kurt sport. Warner, could was be... Kurt Warner number thirteen? Does that yes, help? It was, with, yeah. Does that help with the the Temple fan base there? That I know. Yes, that? It does. So, yeah. That might be. Uh, I'm going to stick with that one. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's why EJ wears number thirteen. There you go. That helps too. That helps. Will Chamberlain. Yeah. Well, it's a great one. Um, uh, oh come on! Outfielder that died with exactly three thousand hits. What's that? An outfielder that died with exactly 3,000 hits, Roberto Clemente. I thought, I thought Clemente wore number 23. He wore 13? I believe he wore 13. I don't know about 13. I thought he was like 21. Yeah, he wore number 21. Yeah, he wore number 21. Yeah, he wore number 21. He wore number 21. Actually, wait, hold on. Hold on. You have a Roberto Clemente bobblehead? Yes, of course yes, I, I do. do. <laughs> How about that? How about that? that? People can't see this on the podcast, but yes, I have a Roberto. Well, this Clemente. random website that I Googled famous number 13s for then, on notice. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, what, what, which one did you have, Caden? Uh, Steve Nash. I know Javon, I know who had James Harden. Another guy Javon hates to watch, just shaking his head. But, you know, when it comes to basketball, you know, at least since the 2000s, those are two guys, you know, I think of. Uh other than that, you know, it's tough. Christian Kirk, I guess, just because the ridiculous contract the Jaguars gave him. I, I know that's a random one that, you know, pops in the head. Jimmy, what number did you wear when you played? I was 20 in high school, 21 in college. Oh, God. All right, we'll have you back on again when we get to episode 21 of, of, uh, of Scoop. <laughs> um, but, Jimmy, again, thanks for being on with us today. I really appreciate it. This is uh, – uh, a highly anticipated season uh, for you guys, of course. And I, I think you uh, will, I've, will, will get into this in the conversation. I think you guys have a lot of the pieces that, that you want now uh, on the roster. I think one of the biggest pieces of preparing for this season is probably reintegrating Caleb Battle back into the lineup after he missed all the seven games of the season last year with the foot injury. Uh, how's that going so far in preseason practices and how's he feeling? Good. Yeah, it's, it's going well. And KK is, uh, He's back. He's healthy. Um, brings a, a scoring punch uh, that we didn't necessarily have last year once he went down. But um, those other guys stepped up. And, and now it's been interesting to see kind of how those all guys kind of mesh together. But uh, I think when you look at our lineup and you can put uh, Fabe, Dame, uh, Zach, KB all on the floor at the same time, like that's that's a lot of shooting. You know what I mean? So having those guys being able to play together. And I think it's fun because I think they all really like playing with each other. Um, and they enjoy that part of it. Uh, so it, it makes it easier for them to share the ball. Um, and that being said, you, you got to pick one guy out of those perimeter players to beat you, right? So, like, you can't take all four of them away. And, and when you throw in our bigs that we have, you can't take all five of them away. So I, I think it's going to be different guys who lead us in scoring on different nights. And you look at our scrimmage, and I know we'll talk about that later, but we, we had five guys in double figures um, and two other guys right behind them who were close. And I think that's a product of – one, how well we share the ball, but two, we have a bunch of different guys who can score the basketball. Uh, you look at our team, and we have, I think, nine guys on our roster who have started a game in college before. So it, it, mixing and matching and trying to find the best combination in the lineup is going to be big for us, but K is going to be a big part in that as well. Jimmy, I swear, like, once a podcast, you have, like, a perfect segue. And speaking of that scrimmage, uh, I don't know how much you want to get into the actual specifics, but it's been reported um, that you guys beat uh, – Georgetown team that probably should be a little better this year than last year by eight, nine points. Uh, what was kind of, you know, the format of that scrimmage and how'd you guys kind of leave that uh, feeling about your team? Yeah. So we played two 20 minute halves and we treated each half like they were the end of the end of the game. 
So uh, it, it was actually good because we got a couple situations out of it and just sort of working on uh, time score situation, uh, different things up three, down three, that type of thing. We threw that in there as well. Um, but we left we left happy. You know, it's uh, our guys. Uh, I know everyone gets all excited right on the first day of practice, but uh, we really never stopped practicing. So <laughs> for our guys, it's been since really April that, that we've seen someone else. So for us, it, it was a great opportunity to see a Georgetown team, and, and they've gotten a lot better. Uh, I expect them to be a team that finishes in the middle of the pack, uh, at least there um, in, the, in, in the Big East. So uh, good, good scrimmage for us. They always bring a lot of size and a lot of toughness. So for us, it was a good chance to test that out. And, and really, they, they play similarly to us in, in a lot of ways and similar to our conference. So that, that I thought, helped out a ton. So but we, left, we left excited about our guys. Obviously, have some things we have to work on. I think our offense was a little bit ahead of our defense, uh, which is going to stun some of your avid listeners because normally it's the other way around. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for us, it, it was it was exciting to see how well we moved the ball. So we had 17 assists, uh, 11 turns, which was great for us. Uh, obviously, you want that 11 turns to be closer to six, seven, if we could. Uh, but 17 assists is terrific. And that goes back to the last question in terms of our guys and putting five guys in double figures, I think that's that's huge because a lot of our shots and now you make some, you miss some. A lot of our shots were one more. A lot of our shots were drive kicks. A lot of a lot of our shots were drop offs to the bigs. And, and that was huge. Uh, I think we had two guys, one guy on our team, won a perfect seven for seven. Another guy went six for seven. So those guys played really well. Um, and we're excited about that. And, and we have a lot of answers to a lot of questions this year. Uh, but that being said, it, the only thing that I think gets in our way is, is us. So how do we handle role adjustment? How do we handle uh, not getting enough shots? How do we handle guys taking certain guys away? How do we handle days when we're tired or we're sore or somebody's got a bum ankle and who's going to step up? And, and that's going to be a big piece because it's, it's going to be different guys on different nights. And, and that's an exciting thing. And that's a beautiful thing. But also it, there's some uncertainty with that as well. So I think for us, we've been really honing in the last – ever since the scrimmage the last three or four days here uh, on the defensive end and, and getting our guys ready to to really figure that part out. Because I think when we locked in in the second half, that's when we really made a big run against Georgetown there. Jimmy, I know we talked a little bit last night, but, uh, you know, the transfer of big men, Core and Jamil, can you talk about, you know, what you saw from them against Georgetown and, you know, what they're really capable of doing for you this year? Yeah, you know, we have three five men, all who have started games in college, we have three five men who really compete and really fit our conference. Um, I think Big Millie, he, he's a scoring threat uh, like we haven't had since I've been here. And even when I was here as a grad assistant, I don't think we've had that in a while. Uh, Millie can score. He can score right hand, left hand, uh, can step out. He made a three in the scrimmage. Uh, you saw him last night in the three-point contest. Uh, I told him he got too tired after the second rack there. He stopped using his legs. But um, but but Millie's a guy who he can score in a lot of different ways. He gives you a, a significant punch offensively. Uh, that being said, he's also, I mean, he's seven feet tall and he's uh, about 280 right now. And he can pass. He can pass out on the perimeter. He's, he's very, very skilled. Uh, Core is a guy who, who makes a ton of winning plays. So Core has terrific feel. Uh, defensively, he is everywhere. He, he had, I think he had seven rebounds in about 18, 19 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and, and that was that was huge, huge for us. He, he brings such a he makes other guys better. He's very easy to play with. Uh, he makes other guys better, good on rolls, good at catching lobs um, and, and actually had a couple of assists there, too. So uh, those two guys played really well. And then and then you got big Ema, who's physical. He's physical. He's not afraid to hit somebody. And, and you guys know as well as anybody in our league, especially playing Houston and Memphis, you're going to need somebody to hit somebody too. And, and those, other, those other two guys do it as well. But Ema is, is a force down there in that, that as well. So, so where does Nick factor into all of this? With those three, I know he's going to play a little bit of small ball five mm -hmm. too. Where does he factor into all of this? Yeah, Nick, Nick has been playing uh, predominantly on the perimeter uh, for us lately, uh, playing that four spot, being on the perimeter. He's really improved his shooting uh, and his decision-making on the perimeter. I think you will see him at the five too, especially uh, late game. Uh, and when teams are switching and when we switch as well, I think you can switch with Nick at the five. I think you can switch with core at the five. And to be honest with you, I think in, against teams that really spread you out, you could switch with Jello at the five uh, if you really wanted to, uh, just because he's, I mean, he, he really could play any possession, position on the floor there. Um, but, but yeah, I think you'll see Nick sometimes at, at that, that small ball five as well. Uh, I thought he, he gave us really good minutes there last year. That's not his his preferred position. Um, I think when, when we brought him in, he was more kind of a guy who was going to play a little bit on the perimeter. 
Um, but obviously circumstances dictated that we needed him down there. So uh, I think you'll see him a little bit there, uh, but I think those other guys will really play predominantly those minutes. In your estimation, uh, Jimmy, what player have you seen, you know, improve the most over the off season? It's a great question. Uh, I think our sophomore class has improved tremendously. Uh, so Zach Hicks has taken as big of a jump as anybody. Uh, incredibly efficient in our scrimmage. Incredibly efficient. Uh, I think he's, uh, I don't want to give you the exact points, but I, I think it was about like something like 19 on like 10 shots and, and just incredibly efficient in, in what he's done. Uh, I think Hasir, his, so we, we were up in the, so we, we changed the scores after both, um, but uh, Georgetown went on a little bit of run and you saw Hasir really emerge as a leader for us, vocal, getting guys into spots and really rallying the, the crew there, which was pretty cool. And, and then uh, Jello White, uh, he just, he just does so much, does so much. And he's working on his decision making, working on finishing and, and doing those things, working on his outside jumper, but he does so much out there on the floor and seeing those three guys really take a step. And then, and then Nick Jordan as well, seeing his steps that he's taken, it's been, it's been great for, from that perspective and um, excited about those guys. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. So I apologize if I am. Thank you. Hit everybody there. Jimmy, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Hysir. You guys have always known that the work ethic has been there with him. And then he started to make, you know, that, that bit of that leap, you know, I think he scored double figures in four of the last six games last season, had the career high in the, in the conference tournament, worked hard over the summer. Tell me a little bit more about what you've, what you've seen from him as a ball handler, as a guy who's, you know, I think at one point he said he wants to finish better around the rim. Like what, what have you seen from him just more specifically in that scrimmage? And I know you touched on it just now. Yeah, he's, he's been more vocal. Uh, I think he's trying to lead and that's hard as a sophomore, right? So like, to come in here and then tell a bunch of new guys like what they have to do and, and where they have to be, that, that can be hard for somebody at 19 years old and, and you're still trying to figure out your life. You know what I mean? Your role, your responsibility. But, but he's been doing a good job being vocal. Uh, he pushes those guys every day, tries to set the tone. And, and for him, it's, it's going to be being consistent and, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but he, he's built for it. Uh, so we, we've seen a lot uh, from him and just – getting better every day, working on his leadership style, working on his voice out there. And really for him, it's it's going to be about making great decisions with the ball and making great decisions in ball screens. He's going to have to keep all these guys happy, right? So Millie's going to need shots. KB's going to need shots. Dane Dunn's going to need shots. Block's going to need shots. Block being Zach Hicks. Zach Hicks, Zach Hicks I apologize, but we call him Block. Uh, he's going to need shots. So all these guys, he's going to have to manage all these guys. So it's, it's, it's going to take time for him to figure all that out and how to make sure that we spread it around to the way that we're capable of, but he, he's done a great job. We're really proud of him. Who's handling the ball for you guys, whether, whether high is on the floor and just, you know, doing something else in the offense, whether he's off the floor, is it, is it Jaleel? Is it Dame? Who else do you feel comfortable with handling the ball on this team? Yeah. The, the beauty with, with what we run and, and Chris Clark and Aaron have done a great job of, of sort of implementing this. And it's, it's been, you sort of can put the ball in anyone's hands. Obviously, Fave is the primary ball handler there, handler there but you'll see Shane Dazoni on the ball some. You'll see Jello White on the ball some. You'll see Dame Dunn on the ball some. I think that those guys are all sort of going to help it out by committee, uh, especially with some of the teams we play in, in uh, the non-conference there with St. John's and the way they press and sort of get after you. With VCU, we'll do the same. Uh, we're about to scrimmage Iona this upcoming weekend. And uh, – they play the same way. That's sort of why we wanted to make sure we scrimmage Iona. Uh, but you'll see all four of those guys really have a chance to handle the ball and, and get us into offense. Uh, Jimmy, Shane's a, like, like you just talked about, a guy who might have the ball in his hands, might just be more of a scoring threat off the bench at times. What have you kind of seen from him? I know Aaron has described him as a, like a calming presence, a very calm player on the court. Yeah, he's got a good basketball IQ, um, can make a three. Uh, can get in there. He's got good size. He had a move where he uh, he spun the post on Big a Cook a Cook from Georgetown. Got in there, played off two feet, had a nice little hook shot, so he can take advantage of his size. Uh, that, that's the beauty of our, our team. Like we we have uh, we go we have one guy under six five on our roster. Uh, so for us, and, and that's Fave, and, and we remind him of that every day. But uh, for for us, he's he's got great size and length and versatility. He can do a little bit on the ball, a little bit off the ball. Uh, just he brings a toughness too. Uh, he, he's not phased by anything out there. So, Jimmy, I, I kind of wanted to follow up on that with the roster composition. It I feel like it's been said, but 
Is this the first year that you feel like, okay, this is a fully, this is how we think the roster should look going forward. This is the construction that we want. Yeah, you know, it, it is. And, and it's hard. It's going to get harder too, to, to manage roster sizes. And, and I think that's why we, we only have 12 scholarship guys. Right. So like this day and age guys, if they're not playing 20 minutes, they want to transfer. So trying to navigate that with a mix of youth, uh, of older guys, a mix of high school guys, a mix of transfer guys, it's it's not easy. You know what I mean? And, and you wind up almost being a GM more than you are a coach these days in the offseason. So trying to figure all that out is is tough. But I, I really like where our roster's at uh, moving forward because a lot of these guys can come back. I think everybody on our roster next year could come back except for uh, except for core. Uh, so, so that's, that's the beauty of it. Now, some guys are going to have opportunities to go professionally and do some different things that way. Some guys are, have been here for four years and have three years left of eligibility, you know, so uh, trying to navigate all that is, is difficult, but in terms of the roster with where we want it, this is, this is a group we feel like has a chance to, to win a lot of games and we're excited about it. So last season, Jay Will and KB missed a good amount of games and everybody really forced Dame to have to step up and come into his own and evolve as a player. What have you seen from him, not only from, you know, his performances last year, but the progress he's made this offseason and, you know, where you expect him to be as a player now? He made the preseason, you know, first team all-conference. Mm -hmm. Leadership, I would say he's been a terrifically calming presence for our young guys. Um, and as he goes, we go in a lot of ways in terms of our energy. And the other piece of it is decision-making. I think Dame in the past had he was thinking score, 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 and he had to. Uh, I think he's letting the game come to him a little bit more. And, and some of that is probably trust in those other guys that we have, but also some of it is in in, in him giving himself up to, to make other guys better. And in doing so, that in turn makes him better. And I think that's that's a big piece. I also think that Dame Dunn's a guy who likes to get downhill, likes to get in the paint, make things happen. And we haven't had a ton of shooting around him in the past, right? So now there's more guys in the gaps. Now he's he's got to make tougher decisions or there's more hands in there. So if he does try to kick it out, it's less likely that it's going to get there. Now you have shooting around him at almost every position. So with that, there's going to be a lot more floor spacing. And with that, there's going to be a lot more opportunity for Dame Dunn to take advantage of what he does best. We know, you know how good of a player Jaleel White can, you know, can – can become if he, you know, starts to shoot more consistently. Uh, what have you seen from him in the offseason with his shot? Yeah, he works on it every day. Works on it every day. I um, mean, does a great job of of really getting in here. Uh, I just – I'm sitting in my office right now, and uh, you can hear the music in the uh, in the practice facility. It wouldn't shock me if it's cello because he's in here so much. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, that's been a big piece for him. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, everyone knocks his shooting. You look at the the big games that we won, like Jalil made shots. Like there, there wasn't a time where somebody leaves him open from that corner. And and he I think if you took the the last five minutes of games and just took the stats from those last five minutes, Ja probably shot a really good percentage because he made big shots for us. So in, in my mind, the, the confidence is there. And I think that's a big piece in being a, a great shooter. And, and now he's just got to keep repping it. And other than his, you know, that shot, where else have you seen, you know, Jaleel improve? Decision-making. Uh, getting better, playing off of two feet. I know he works on his finishing every day. Uh, our grad assistants do a tremendous job of, of really helping him with that, along with Chris Clark and Monte and all these guys. And and for him, he's he's really worked on his finishing. Uh, he's just so big, man. Like, he gets downhill. He puts that shoulder into you. If he can finish, he's really hard to guard, really hard to guard. Jimmy, you were talking about Zach earlier, and obviously we know he can shoot the hell out of the ball. And you talked about the offseason he's had and, and the progress he's made. He rebounded the ball really well last year. And, and some guys who can shoot come in as true freshmen, they kind of just want to camp out in the perimeter and not do much else. Did he kind of, has he kind of surpassed your expectations? I know he's still got a lot to learn as a player, but in terms of the other aspects of his game, getting involved in rebounding and stuff like that, and not just shooting, did was that kind of a pleasant surprise or were you? Were you guys expecting that when you saw him from the time you got to campus? You can never doubt how much Zach Hicks wants to win. And I think he, he shows that every single time. And I think a lot of that is because he's so competitive mm -hmm. and he wants to win. So he's doing all the little things that he needs to do to win. And you look at it this year, he's really, really put an onus this year defensively. 
on learning how to guard the best players. So he, he's not that I think we'll put him on the best players, but every day he's tried to match up with Caleb Battle and, and trying to figure out how to stop him. Uh, he, he's one of our better box out guys uh, so far, and he's really put the onus on that because he knows that's that's what leads to winning. And I think Zach is is a tremendous young man who's put a ton of effort into his game, but I think he's also bringing it every day and really putting a focus on doing things that lead to winning. And, and that's one thing that I'm that really excites me about him. Um, and I obviously you, you know that coming in, you think that he's like that, but he's definitely surpassed our expectations in doing the little things. Zach is really smart as a basketball player and as and as a human being. But as a basketball player, he he has a, a terrific IQ, really good feel. He's a really underrated passer, I would say. Uh, but but he has a good feel and he knows what it takes to win. And he le- listens, picks it up quick. That was the best part last year with. Zach and Fave being young guys will be sort of thrown in the fire. They they listen. They listen and they take what you tell them and they go and execute it. Not that I think we have all the answers, but they try to do what we ask every single night. And I think that's made Zach a really good player. What is he like off the court, Jimmy? I mean, outwardly to us, he seems pretty like obviously again a good shooter. And you can see that he looks like he's a competitive guy, but he seems kind of shy. Is he not like that off court? So when we recruited Zach Hicks, it was much like this conversation, right? So we would have all the staff and we'd get on the Zooms and Zach would maybe say two words in an hour. <laughs> and we'd be talking to his mom and his dad and, and Zach really wouldn't speak. And then we'd go see him or he'd be on campus and he would say like two or three words, like you really couldn't get much out of him. Now he doesn't stop talking. <laughs> so I think he's one of those kids that, that he's, he's got to get comfortable with you. But, but Zach is, he's, he's hilarious. He's hilarious. Uh, he was came in. We, we were sitting in here meeting today. So today's our off day. And, and he just comes in just like he's one of the coaches, sits in the coach's staff office and just talks for 25 minutes. And you couldn't stop him talking like he was just going. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's he's a really funny kid. So if you see him on campus, be sure to uh, to say what's up to him and, and call him Block. He, uh, th- that's his nickname. We call him Block. So It'll be a it'll be a great conversation. You're gonna be upset with us if we call him Block? No, 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 no. Everybody calls him Block, so you'll be fine. All right, hey, Jimmy. I know Aaron's one of those guys who doesn't really care too much for what's on paper. Doesn't care for media polls or coaches' polls. He made that real clear last year. Once you guys proved everyone wrong about the preseason ranking this year, you know, fifth in the preseason poll. Uh, Dame said it's tournament a bust for you guys this year. What is it like? What is it like having these heightened expectations, you know, and what's it like to see the players really holding themselves up to it, too? Yeah, you know, it's uh, this is where we want to be. I think I remember my my first podcast I did with you guys four years ago. This that was always been the goal and the goal has always been the goal. So I don't think our expectations change. I think the, the expectations from the outside world change. But our, our goal is to finish in the top of that conference every single year. And in doing so, we put ourselves in a position to go to the NCAA tournament. So for us, I think the, the danger in it is like everyone's telling us, oh, you guys got a chance to be pretty good. You got a chance to be pretty good. Uh, that is is more dangerous in my mind than than anything else. Right. So like, yeah, we got a chance to be pretty good. But at the end of the day, like it, our first six games are huge. So we got to be ready to go. And, and nobody cares. Nobody. You don't start the game up 10 because everyone thinks you're going to be good. No, like you still have to play the game. So that's that's important. And that's for us managing that expectation and really working with our guys to stay committed to doing the work and not getting caught up in all the extra stuff is going to be important. Jimmy, with, with that in mind where you say, okay, we got to, we know that we have a team that's capable of going to the NCAA tournament this year. You look at those early non-conference opportunities for you guys to get those potential resume building wins, whether it's Villanova on the November 11th, you know, Rutgers in the Hall of Fame showcase, St. John's in the Empire Classic. You talked about how much they press you. You guys, as coaches and players, you you have to be conditioned to say, "Oh, it's one game at a time, one game at a time." But are, are you only? Is there the human side of you that looks at the schedule and says, "Wow, we got some big tests early on, and this is that early stretch of the schedule could really determine what things look like for you guys in March." How much do you think about that, and then how much do you have to like rein yourself back from it and say, "We can't get too ahead of ourselves," I guess. The coach speak answer would be to say, hey, John, I'm, I'm concerned with beating Iona um, and, and then Wagner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, yeah, they're, they're massive games for us. I, I think when when we're making our schedule right in in the middle of last year, we're thinking, oh, wow, this is great. Like, let's get the best schedule we can. 
now you're looking at it like, oh, okay, this is uh, this is a hell of a schedule. I think we just came out with the second best con- uh, schedule in the non-conference, and uh, it, it, Memphis is ahead of us by a little bit. And I think we're in the top ten in strength of schedule, pro- projected strength of schedule in our in the in the country right now. So that's that's a, a that's Temple though. That, that's who we've been. That's what Aaron wanted to do, and and that's what we need to do if we want to put ourselves in position to get in that large. But but now, like you said, we, we got to take care of business. And we gotta we gotta establish who we are early, and and we have to set the tone early with who we want to be. So I think the the beauty of what we have is we have a lot of guys coming back, and we have a lot of guys who've played. Whereas last year, I didn't think we were ready for those games that early, right? So we weren't ready to play Boise State and and Clemson because we still had so much gelling to do as a team. Because really, Dame KB like those guys had never played together, and, and we had a lot of young guys who were in the mix. And I think this year you have a lot of guys who've who've played before, who've been in those games, who have some presence to them, and a lot of guys who have played well together. So the, the gelling piece is a little bit further along. So I think we're more ready for those big games this early in the season. Yeah, and I mean, Jimmy, not to over-glorify an opponent, but, you know, you got Houston twice this year too. Exactly. They came in to the top five, like – not to try to, like I said, not to over-glorify an opponent, but how important is it to show up for those two games especially? Yeah, they're huge. And I would argue that those games are even bigger than the non-conference games, right? So, like, I think our conference has, is a good enough conference to get four teams in the NCAA tournament this year. I think uh, you got us, you got Memphis, you got Cincy, you got Houston, you got Tulane. Uh, UCF is always going to surprise some people. So, like, I think if our conference does what we're supposed to do in the non-conference, I think you could see three or four teams and, and maybe a fifth there on the bubble. So, but that being said, yeah, I mean, we, we, if you want to win the conference right now, you got to be Houston. It's no offense or but they've won the last two or three or whatever it is. And they've gone to a final four and elite eight. So that that's, that's who we have to beat. That's who we're trying to be. That's uh, Aaron has modeled our roster in, a, in his own image, but with paying attention to how Houston built it. And I think we're, on a similar track. Houston didn't make the NCAA tournament under Kelvin Sampson until year four. So for, for us, that's, this is a big year. It's a big year and, and beating Houston is, is big for us. That's about as big as the Wagner game. Cause the Wagner game is the first one and that's the one we got to win. So, um, but that being said, like I'd be remiss if, and I'd be lying to you if I told you that the, the Houston game, the Memphis game, the Nova game, like they're not big games for us because they are. I know, like, this is a very, you know, fine line to talk about, but this NIL stuff is now a thing. Temple's officially in it with the tough fund. Um, News came out today that schools can now request donors to provide to funds and collectives and all that. How has that really changed the way, you know, you guys have to go about business as a coaching staff? Yeah, so we we sort of, not sort of, we do. We we have to stay uh, at an arm's length from that. Uh, so won't get into that a ton, just out of uh, just trying to uh, navigate what the rules are and what the rules aren't. Cause I think a lot of it is still up in the air. Um, but it, it's, it's the new reality, right? So I, I love the fact that our guys, and I love the fact that our guys are being taken care of. And I love the fact that our guys have opportunities to go make some money for themselves because they should. Uh, and I think that's great. Uh, I think any help we can get for our guys and, and not we can get, but the, the Temple University fan base can provide for our guys is is tremendous and we're happy that our guys get those opportunities and especially if it has uh some benefit to the community or to the temple culture as well and that's terrific and we're really excited about that so um i i i have seen the the rule that you're talking about or the ruling that you're talking about i haven't completely delved into it enough to understand what i'm allowed to and not allowed to say so i'm going to be really quiet on that but uh, am I excited that our guys are, are being taken care of? Absolutely. And I know you and Chris are the ones primarily on the road doing the recruiting. Does, you know, having stuff like this make life easier on you when you're trying to tell a kid to come to North Broad? I can't have that conversation with them. But, uh, yeah, I think Chris and Monte and I, we, we try to stay up with what's going on and, and try to make sure that our guys are – the guys that we're recruiting are excited about Temple. Absolutely. Jimmy, I want to talk about – you, the two you just mentioned, also, you know, Jason and Mark, it's probably not rare for a coaching staff to stay together for four years, but it's definitely not common, right, for to have the same guys for you to kind of be here from the beginning. How have you guys kind of grown as a coaching staff since when you first walked in here, you know, four years ago? It is a big family. 
Uh, and I know family is a oft overused word, uh, but it is. And 98% of that is a testament to Aaron McKee and to Coach Chain and to what Temple means to all of us. And Aaron is a guy who empowers his staff, uh, but he also, if Aaron is going to treat everyone with a tremendous amount of respect and treat them like family, then we all have to follow suit. And not that I think we needed him to show that for us, because I think we're all built like that as well. But if Aaron's doing that, then we have to do that. I think if you sat in on our staff meetings, there'd be a, a lot of laughs. But when it comes time to, to get down to business, we all have each other's back. And I think that's that's been the, the beauty of it. And the other thing is, I think we're all local guys and we all have a tremendous amount of love and respect for not only Temple, but the city of Philadelphia. And I think it, it shows a lot to the character of Aaron, but also to the character of the school and, and to what we're building here that everyone stayed. You know what I mean? And everyone wants to say, now, do I think that's always going to be the case? No, probably not. Guys leave, guys get jobs. Hopefully uh, Chris or Mott can get a head job here too. You know what I mean? Like that would be great for them. Uh, but that being said, I, I really love the chemistry that we have. We work well off each other. And I think the guys feel that too, right? So I, I've been on sets before where the assistants don't really talk or they don't really like each other or the head coach doesn't really like this guy. And, and, and the guys see that, right? And that carries over into the team. But with us, it couldn't be further from the truth. I think we're a pretty tight-knit group, and we have our issues here and there, like all families do. But at the end of the day, we all want to win, and we all want to support each other. And, and at the end of the day, Aaron McKee gave all of us a chance. And there's nothing that Aaron McKee wants more than to turn Temple into what it was when he was playing. And the only thing Temple hasn't done is won a national title in men's basketball. They won the NIT, but won an NCAA tournament national title. And every day when we, we take recruits through the league course center, we look up at the, at the rafters and we tell them that. And, and it's our job to change that. And hopefully we're on our way to doing that. But this staff has been great and sticking together is how we're going to do it. Jimmy, you have time for a few mailbag questions? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we got a, a few for you here. These are Most of these are from uh, subscribers or on message boards. The, the first screen name here is Green Street Al. He says, thanks for doing these. As always, Coach. I'll pick one of these questions out here. With the season approaching and as intense practices have continued, can you break down the strengths of some of the newcomers? And without playing favorites, name a guy who has surprised you the most with his play since formal practices began. It's a great question. Guy who surprised me the most, is not surprised, but has impressed me the most has been Zach Hicks. Uh, he's he's taken a big jump. Uh, the new guys. So I talked about Million Core already. Mm -hmm. uh, talked about Shane. Taj Thweet has a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, I think you saw that last night at the Cherry and White. I think you wanted to jump into every single event that they had. Um, but uh, Taj has a tremendous amount of energy. And Deuce is a guy who he's Deuce. It's he's done a great job in a tough spot, right? So he's the only freshman. He's the only one that's never played college basketball on our roster, and he's he's fit in really well. Um, he's a guy who can make shots. He's learning how to play, learning how to defend. Um, but he's been doing a good job. So we're, we're excited about him in the future as well. Another question from Green Street out here. Any chemistry lessons you and the staff and the team can take away from the Phillies run? Is the team doing anything different or might this or might they do differently this year to grow closer? You know, we, we've been trying to find the team theme song. You know what I mean? We, we can't. Mm -hmm. We're trying to come up with our own dancing on our own uh, <laughs> uh, type of temple uh, feel. Um, but that being said, when you so I was on campus giving a tour actually at on was it Sunday night? And two Temple students ran by screaming, telling me that we won, that we're headed to the World Series. And you can't not want to, that to happen here, right? You can't not want that to, to experience that. And hopefully that means we're on the road and we just made the Final Four or whatever it is. But the, the love and the excitement around the city right now is incredible. Um, and, and we got to keep that going. And, and that's, that's something we're excited to do. Next thing here is just a request and not a question. It's from the screen name Esther Boyer. Hi, Coach. Please be Villanova. Thanks. <laughs> um, Trying our best, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, next question here comes a screen name. I think it's a new subscriber. Quinn Dive 2 is the, is the screen name. Uh, inside presence and rebounding have been an issue for many Temple teams in the past. What improvements do you expect in this area with the additions of Core and Jamil? I know you've, I know you've talked about them a, a lot so far, but just in those areas, like rebounding, just just being a presence down there, affecting shots, anything like that. What, what can you say about what those guys could add there? No, they have to. They have to. I, I met with them today 
and, and watched film with Jason Ivey and Jalen Bond and, and just talking to them a little bit. It, it's been – those guys got to get us 20 rebounds a game between the, between the two of them, and Ema's got to add in another five to seven, right? So it, they have to do that. They have to bring that every single night. And if they do, we're going to put ourselves right where we want to be. That's been a big piece for them. I told them they have to be selfish in rebounding the ball. If they have to run over one of the guards, they got to run over one of the guards. But go get the ball. And that's a big piece. And just to jump out of the mailbag for a second, you just mentioned Jalen Bond, having him on staff as, as a grad assistant. What's it like having him around? I mean, he was a pretty pretty good player here. So when he first got here, I, me and Jason Ivey, we stood him next to Core, Jamil, and Ema. And we said, Jalen, how tall are you? And for the first time in his life, he said he was 6'6" even though he's always been listed at six, eight. And, and I said, all right, Jay, now how many rebounds did you average your senior year? And he said, ah, a little bit more than 10. And then I turned to those other guys and I said, all right, how tall are you? And Millie's like, ah, I'm seven feet. He was, ah, I'm six, nine core. I'm six, nine. Okay. So you have no excuse not to get 10 rebounds a game. So, uh, it, but Jay has been awesome. He, he him and Colin Daly and, and Ryan Brooks, they work every day with core on his finishing. Uh, they work uh, some of the fans are going to laugh at this, but he, he rebounds for Millie when he makes his five. He's got to make five threes in a row before he leaves practice every day uh, from the top of the key. And, uh, and and those guys, he's been he's been great with our guys and, and giving them the players touch and, and just mentoring them and pushing them. And it, it's it's somebody who's a little closer to them in age. It's somebody who's been through everything that they're going through. And he's a, a great listening ear, but he's also a great reinforcer of our message as well. So having Jay has been great. He's, he was one of my favorite players that I ever worked with. And now having him back to, to work with him is, is awesome. It's awesome. Jimmy, just to follow up on that, was the Plymouth White Marsh team that has CJ Aiken and Jay Lombard on it, like the most athletic team you've ever seen? <laughs> so I played, so when I was a, I had to be, a, I had to be a sophomore maybe, or a junior. I think I was a junior. And I, we played LaSalle. I was on varsity and Jalen and CJ played in the JV game. They started the JV game. And then I think they started the varsity game at the same time <laughs> when they were at LaSalle. And, uh, and Jay actually dunked on me um, in that game. And I don't think I've ever told him that. Um, and then I actually played AAU with CJ. But uh, love them both. Good dudes. Tremendously athletic. And underrated piece on that team was Marcus Badger, uh, who I grew up with, was a heck of a player. Um, had a hell of a career at Randolph-Macon. Um, but a really good player as well. Got a few more mailbag questions here. This one comes from the screen name Q's Pen. We lost high-level perimeter defense and ball protection in terms of low turnover ratio with the departure of Jeremiah Williams last year. Do you feel Temple has, has enough to compensate for that loss, and how do you see that playing out? Yeah, Jeremiah uh, and Ty, I thought, did a great job last year of wearing down the other team's ball handler. Um, and Jalil became a, a, the third of the three-headed monster defensively in terms of doing a great job personnel-wise. Uh, yeah, that's that's a loss for us. That's a loss for us. We don't we don't have uh, guys who are terrific defensively like that. But I think they make up for it with their offensive prowess. But that being said, we we have to translate that into being even better as a team and team defensively. And I think that's something that Core really brings, uh, sort of helping some, some stuff stuff inside and and with our length. Uh, when you play against us, it, it, our length and versatility really bothers a lot of teams. So we're excited about that. So I think that makes up for it. Yeah, last uh, two questions here from uh, this last uh, mailbag uh, participant. I'll be back on Twitter. Number one is coaches. What are some things you try to have the team work on during the not so secretive scrimmages? Uh, you work on chemistry, you work on lineups, you work on uh, just in-game adjustments. So uh, Georgetown did some things and line out of bounds, and we had to sort of adjust on the fly, and that was great for us. You work on some situation stuff where the other team doesn't know what you're doing. Uh, our guys like to think they're smart, and they try to cheat all of our plays when they guard us every day. So now it's, it's nice to have someone who doesn't know what every play call means so you can see what works, what doesn't work. Um, that part's big. And what was the second question? I'm sorry. Uh, it was – yeah, it was, what are some of the things – oh, second question. Okay. Favorite place you've watched a Phillies playoff game this postseason? That's a great question. I'm going to out myself for where I go. Uh, favorite place. So one of my college teammates actually had a his bachelor party when they beat uh, – not the – well, they, I think they won game one. Or their first game at home, so it was game three against the Padres um, and he had, a, we were all, they rented out a house in South Philly 
and uh, the whole block wound up on the street when they won. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. So that's that's what I'm gonna go with. So not gonna not gonna uh, give myself an NIL deal with McGillens or any of those other spots like I normally do. But um, uh, it was it was a house in South Philly with a bunch of my college teammates celebrating my one buddy getting married. So it's pretty cool. Nice. Jimmy, thanks for doing this again, man. We appreciate it. Uh, see, like we said, the season's upon us. Uh, good luck to you, and we'll be uh, certainly talking to you down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, fellas. Love what you guys do. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, big thank you, as always, to Jimmy Fennerty for joining us again. Less than two weeks away is Temple's basketball season. So uh, stay tuned for all the coverage that we'll have for you leading up to the season opener. Got a football team to talk about that is continuing to struggle. Uh, Temple lost a what should have been a winnable game to Tulsa 27-16 last Friday. At the link, they jumped out to a 10-0 lead behind Leighton Jordan's pick six and Camden Price's field goal. But giving up 299 yards on the ground was really the story and what did them in at the end. Uh, more stuff on the offensive line. Adam Klein left with an injury. James Family left with an injury. Uh, Adonica Sanders, a wide receiver, came out in the second half wearing sweatpants. Um, well, I guess all those guys, uh, we should note that in Monday's press conference, uh, Stan Drayton, normally there, uh, was out with, I guess, like flu-like symptoms, or I think, um, I think. Uh, I think he might still viral. be out. Yeah. He's not doing the radio show tonight. Yeah, Everett Withers is doing it tonight. Yeah, so we got Everett Withers, the chief of staff, and he actually like gave injury updates, like started like, uh, like Andy Reid did. So, I don't know what kind of offensive line we're going to see at Navy. We'll see if Adam Klein's out there, if James Family's out there. I don't know. Uh, Amanda Anderson played better, but the passing game was was clearly off. Zay Baines was targeted 10 times in that game, and he and EJ Warner didn't connect once. Um, running game got going a little bit more with, um, with Ed Sadie, but again, just I think that the game was there to be won, and uh, you know, a, a defense that has gotten better at taking the ball away, making plays happen there, um, just could not stop the run. And they couldn't stop the run up the middle, you know, getting gashed on an 84-yard run where somebody comes right up the middle and just doesn't get touched. Does not bode well for this week when you're going down to, to play a Navy team that has struggled, but it's been kind of hard to figure out as much as you can say that about a two and five team. But before we get to Navy, guys, what do you, what do you take away from this you know, from this game, again, I know there's not much to say. It's a rebuilding team. We, and none of this is super shocking, but what, what jumps out at you from what you saw last Friday? Uh, Zay Baines, who, I mean, yeah, the receiving core is in trouble. I think we're assuming this is Donald's last year. I want to say it is. It I has think, to be. He's out of yeah. eligibility. Yeah. I think Barbone's out of eligibility. No, Barbone technically could come back, but I, I don't know. I, I, you've been I here five years, who knows? Yeah. Um, so after they're gone, yeah, they, they've got to bring some people in. I mean, John, you, you have the stat. Ten targets, not a single catch. Like, either he dropped it or he ran the wrong route or him and EJ just weren't on the same page. Like, that, those are the only three outcomes of those ten passes. Uh, and Barbone, I mean, it was a night where they needed him to be the number one option. And I mean, the Butterfingers still there. It's so the, the receiving core needs help. The whole offense is just, oof, it's, it's and, a head. And Barbone was targeted 13 times and only ended up with six catches. Not to say that all of those were on Jose Barbone, but again, just not. But quite a few of them, when you get two yeah. hands on it, like yeah. I grew up around some receivers, you get two yeah. hands on oh, it, yeah. bring that ball in. Yeah. You're, you're playing FBS ball at a, at what? What's the Power Six Conference? Whatever the hell, um, not getting free endorsement out of me for the American these days. Um, <laughs> like, come on, you you got to catch the ball, my man. I, I don't versus know Mike Oresco. Um, if I had a list, if I had a list of things behind me of uh, the reason they lost that Tulsa game, Jose Barbon's number forty three. Like, oh, no, we've we given a, a little too much attention to the team's leading receiver this season. Yeah. But um no, Adonis Sanders, tough cookie for trying to stick it out. The old wine, hey, bless their hearts, you know. Um, Camden Price, I still need to look at the film to see if that thing got blocked or if it was just a bad kick. 
Uh, I think it'd be a bad kick. I mean, there's a reason he didn't win the job in Miami, right? Like he's yeah. he's been better than Roy Bell, but it'd still be a bad kick. Um, I think the fact that Tulsa only ran for 25 yards the night the week before and then gashed you is concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an optimist, I think Darian Varner and Leighton Jordan are having all conference level years, and they showed that again on Friday. I did watch every second of that game. I thought I was going to watch none of it. I walked into a bar in Asheville and there was the Phillies and the Temple game. So I said, well, we're just staying at this bar tonight. Mm-hmm. So I watched every single snap of that. Um, not EJ's best game, but not his worst, I guess. Just a growing situation. Uh, I mean, it kind of is what it is. It was a winnable game. If you had told me they were going to start off 10-0 and like and start the game 10-0, I would have thought they'd have a good chance. Instead, they just looked flat for – the next three quarters until a kind of who cares drive at the end. I think that's my real problem with this game. Aside from the fact that Ahmad Anderson had another one of those nights where it's due run North South and like make smart decisions with the football, especially on kick returns. Again, like a hundred yard receiving game. Um, but he had hundred yards receiving. No, no, it's not that he, he had a good game, but it could have been better. Um, But I think Kyle, I'm with you. When the defense plays a first half like that, mm-hmm. And you only score 10. Right. I mean, come on, man. You you can't you gotta stop asking that one unit to do every single thing. At some point, somebody has to step up. Like I know Everett Rivers was saying, listen, I'm telling you right now, it's not on the scheme. At some point, the players have to execute. And then he backpedaled it and came back with, we've got to coach them up better. I don't know. Figure it out. So they're like the only coaching staff doesn't know if it's the player's fault or scheming or the scheming fault. Well, but either way, is somebody's got to figure it out. Cause they, I think they, it's, all, is, it's all, I think, I, I think that was Everett's way of saying he knows it's the enough. player's fault. Yeah. Right. Like, and then he had to, <laughs> let's back up a little bit. Cause I don't want to throw these 19 year olds under the bus, but I think that's essentially what it came down to. I appreciated that honesty. Cause like it's borderline disrespectful to the defense with the offense goes out there and does every week. Like you're, these guys are already on the field longer than they should be. And you wonder why in the last quarter and a half of games, they tumble and fall. Like, they're already out there longer than they should be. And now you can't even – you really can't put drives together. And plus, teams are going no huddle anymore. Like, they're, they're at a severe disadvantage. The offense has to help out in some point, at some point this season. And no week is that going to be more of a detriment to them than this upcoming. Exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, that, so Navy's – Two and five overall, and they, they've been a weird team to figure out. Again, they're two and five, so there's not a ton of mystery to it. But, you know, they beat ECU in, in two overtimes back on September 24th. They, they, they routed Tulsa 53 to 21. And then since that Tulsa win, they're coming off two straight losses. They lost 40 to 34 to SMU. Then uh, they lost 38 to 20 to Houston last week. They gave out, uh, gave out five touchdown passes to Clayton Toon. He's a good quarterback. It, it shows you that Temple – can throw the ball against them. Again, I would not compare EJ Warner to Clayton Toon just yet. Um, uh, for what it's worth, they have the they have the top-ranked rushing defense in the, in the conference, Navy does. Um, one thing to note, Navy's getting outscored 61-17 to 17 the first quarter of the season, so there's an opportunity for Temple to start fast, which they absolutely have to do. That's, there's no rocket science there. If Temple can start fast, if they can get – a one like even a two score lead on them. That's not to say that Navy's just going to stop running the ball. They do throw it uh, a little bit more than they they traditionally have. Ty Lavatai throws the ball a little bit more than he did last year. He's capable of doing. It. He's not a great throwing quarterback, but gosh, that, that would be huge for them, you know. And then maybe it's going to be a situation where they look at the numbers and say, "We're going to have to." Danny Langsdorf is saying, "We got to we got to throw to try to run later." if we can. So something's not firing for Navy and these slow starts. And there, there's an opportunity there for Temple. If they don't start fast, they're just probably not going to win this game. Um, the triple option offense Navy has is what, you know, it's what you'd expect. They're, they've had more dynamic rushing offenses in the past, but you've got three players getting work and, and uh, uh, Daba Fofana, their leading rusher full back. He's got the most carries of any back in that offense, 425 yards, four touchdowns. Again, Ty Lavatai leads them with five rushing touchdowns, a quarterback, and then McQuell Haywood is averaging 6.5 yards per carry. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Um, so they still do what they do. They're fourth in the country in rushing offense. They run it so much. They've only scored 13 rushing touchdowns a season. So it's, again, concerning for Temple and that they couldn't stop the run last week and that Navy's going to run every which way they can at you, fullback dives and stuff like that. 
Um, again, Ty Labatai's throwing the ball more. He's thrown for 785 yards, five touchdowns. He's only completed 47% of his passes, but he's already attempted more, almost 30 more passes than he did all of last season. Uh, defensively, they play a three, four front and they've been, I mean, they weren't great last week. I mean, look, you know, some good teams have put up points on them, but they're not a terrible defense. Uh, again, for what it's worth that they've had the top ranked rushing defense in the conference this season, they haven't been good defending the past. Uh, they've only allowed five rushing touchdowns, 102 yards a game, 3.4 yards per carry. They've got a couple of good players on defense. John Marshall's their leading tackler at that striker position. So that's kind of like their linebacker safety hybrid spot. He's got 51 tackles, seven and a half TFLs, three sacks. And then they've got a guy who has five sacks and Jacob Busick. So um, they've got some playmakers on that end of the ball, excuse me, that, that side of the field. We know what Temple has to do to win, which is like contain the run, get an early lead. The question is, can they do it? No, most no. likely not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, real quick, uh, you, did, you just did a great job of reading the stats. <laughs> but to, take, to put one, yeah, it's the they passed the most since 2001 Navy team. That mm-hmm. 2001 Navy team uh, lost to Temple. Mm-hmm. Jason McKee, Aaron McKee's brother, uh, cousin, I was supposed to say brother, yeah. cousin, rushed for 120 yards in a tutty. Uh, this might be Navy's last chance of the win this year, which I don't think is something to discount. I mean, they go to Cincy after this. They play Notre Dame on neutral side after that. Then they go to UCF. Then, of course, they have Army, which, you know, they did beat Army last year, so that's always a possibility. But this, this is their senior day, too. Yeah, right. So there's a lot of, like, off-the-field factors into this that I don't also don't think bode well for Temple. But – and, like, I also think it might be the end of Ken Niamatololo's uh, tenure there, which I actually think I said last year, too. But I think it's getting towards the end of that. Um, I just don't – I just – I'm having trouble envisioning Temple being able to stop this run whatsoever. I think they're going to be able to move the ball. I really do. I think teams will be able to pass against uh, their corners. Their corners really aren't, like, dynamic threats. I think they only have three picks this entire season. Um, so, I don't I – don't, I think EJ should be able to throw the ball. I just don't, I think it's going to be long, long defensive drives. Eventually you'll just see in the second half, like they just don't have the depth at certain positions for them to weather this type of game. Yeah. I think on the emotional side, multiply it by at least two because Neil Matilolo feels more strongly about this senior class than possibly any other one. Cause this senior class is the one that was like directly affected by COVID like a, a good portion of them left and the ones who stayed, he has a lot of love and appreciation for um, is the Naval Academy got hit worse than. That is a great point, Javon, in the sense that I am thinking of, they must've all, they had to leave, right? Like if you were a senior in 2020 at the Naval Academy, you couldn't postpone your going to serve your, your tenure as in the Navy. So while other schools got to kind of take advantage of that extra year of eligibility, the Naval Academy, Army, Air Force, uh, the Merchant Marines didn't get to take advantage of that, right? Because those guys had to still leave. And maybe you're still seeing the ramifications of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, but like the guys who <clears throat> still had a whole bunch of eligibility left, it was, they were isolated. They were in their dorms. And if they were traveling, it wasn't in more than Texas. Are you telling me they couldn't go to Pussers in Annapolis? Um, was Pussers shut down? Could they not get? They, they, <laughs> couldn't, they couldn't do a damn thing, Kyle. And it, Mentally, a lot of those guys got so depressed that they just went straight to Ken's office and had to come to Jesus. Moment. I love pussers. Just this is like, my recommendation to go to pussers. <laughs> like, just told him straight up, I can't do this anymore, man. Javon, ask, ask Kyle where he got engaged. I guess that's where he's got engaged. Not, not pussers. Pussers is not a place to get engaged. No, I mean, it's not bad. There's boats there and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Minneapolis. I told Javon the story about how Golden was like, ah, Ken's got a great job. Just since watch the boats go by during practice. Never has to throw the ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, he has to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, on, that, on that note, though, like, bottom line, Ken loves this senior class more than almost any other one he's ever had. So you got all of that combined with the fact that you look on film. Well, I can show this film to my 12-year-old little brother who plays Madden all day, and he'll straight up point out, Oh, if I run the ball and go no huddle, I'm getting this team up out of there. Okay. Now you put that to a Navy staff that does this professionally and all they do is run the damn ball most of the time. Come on, man. John, your IA is going to be done in the third quarter, maybe earlier than that. Ooh. Well, I mean, the, the other thing too, and again, I, I think anybody who watches the game of football knows this, it, it takes what 
Temple has done well with players like Leighton Jordan and Darian Varner. And as cliche as it sounds, they can't pin their ears back and just say, we're going after the quarterback. Now they have to read their keys, all the stuff that you find coming out of your mouth when it comes to, you know, covering playing Navy, they have to be gap sound discipline set. Like, and that's their biggest problem on defense. They yep. have no gap discipline. If you let yeah. Everett Withers and Stan Drayton tell the story. Yeah. And so I think, again, it would be huge for them if they can get a lead. Then again, I'm not saying that like, you know, it's like an NFL game, like NF, like Navy just completely abandons the run. They won't. They'll still try to come back that way. But that's the only chance they have. I, I think if, if you're Temple, I think this is the one game where you win the opening coin toss. You take it. You don't defer to the second half. I think you'd want to take the ball. You want to get down there and score, try to get a, a one score, two score lead, and then maybe hope that they drop back a little bit and you try to force some turnovers. I think that's the only way that they win. I actually think even just the open coin toss is going to be big for them. And again, this isn't the best Navy team that we've seen in a while, but it's just an indictment of where yeah, I think we'd feel better about this game for Temple's sake, if they had defended the run a lot better last week. But as soon as, again, once, you know, once you see Prince go for 84 yards on touched up the middle, I thought, oof, okay, this does not bode well for next week. What's the line on this game? 13 and a half. Again? Yeah, 13 point underdogs. I think week? I got to 12 and a half last week. I might have just slipped, but it's right around there. 12 and a half, 13 and a half. Over I, under I do, 40.5. I do think they cover. I, I have another gripe with this offense. Like you can't you can't deceive anyone. You're not creating anything. When can we expect to see some more up-tempo stuff? Like I know communication isn't the best on that offense because we've seen them waste countless timeouts on not knowing what they want to do. But mm-hmm. at some point, when you can't get any defense. Then slip up and on any play, you got to start going. So trying to expose them that way. You want to make an offense that already can't sustain drives. You want to make that time even quicker. Hurry up! I don't know, man. Kyle, they got to figure out some way to put points on. Alex Odom is on the sidelines right now, going, Javon, come on, man. I want them to slow it down. And and I'm with you, but at some point, like it it might have to be like just speed it up and hope you can start scoring that way. And then it's all right, defense. Yeah. Hold them to a field goal, bend but don't break, which I think would save their lungs a lot also. But something's got to change. They can't keep up what they've been doing. No, I don't disagree. Uh, big week for Alex Odom and the safety group. I know gap discipline gets a lot of coverage, obviously, with options, but you need good safeties against yeah. the option. I think Alex Odom is a pretty good safety. Um, Elijah Daraville started in place of Jalen Ware this last week. Who's going to be at number two safety? I'll be curious. Yeah. Prediction time. 3.30 game. I don't like 3.30 games. Give me noon. I know people like 3.30 games for, like, going to the games, but, like, I got you something noon. Um, Navy, 38. Temple, 28. I'll say they get some points, but they, they still lose by double digits. 38-13. Um, you, said that you said they would cover. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I meant Navy was going to cover. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, 38-13 in, in, you know, Chuck Sullivan and all you guys. Why is the Temple USF game at 2 o'clock? Like, that's two programs right now <laughs> that are just like, that should be a noon game, especially since it's on ESPN+. Plus. Like, 2 o'clock benefits nobody. Yeah, that's no- terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. That's the death rattle of Jeff Scott versus hopefully, you know, Temple still in, in year one of a rebuild. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more people are going to be watching reruns of One Tree Hill than they're going to be watching uh, <laughs> the Temple USF. What a poll there, One Tree Hill. My wife is actively rewatching One Tree Hill, and she like acknowledges like this is a bad show. It's like, yeah, it was always a bad show. You're just watching. He goes, he's he goes from playing in like an AAU team to being the starting point guard of the Charlotte Bobcats in two episodes. Two episodes. <laughs> One, Tree One Tree Hill. Hill. I haven't seen a single episode of One Tree Hill. I've never sat down and watched one either, but I picked up on the entire premise. <laughs> my mom and my older brother's dad used to watch that show. And uh, elementary school, Javon, maybe indulged a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to go 31-17 Navy. We do have one uh, other mailbag question here from the screen name, What What TU. Question is, at a certain point, does Stan Drayton admit this roster isn't good enough to keep being aggressive on offense in certain fourth down situations can i touch on this one first kyle i I know it seems like i'm just steamy today i was waiting on a mailbag question like this get him because these damn (laughs) analytics are ruining all that is holy 
You know, he was oh, saying so this in the in mind. the press box, like almost oh, oh, in this tone. A nice tangent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just get him out of sports at this point. You've already ruined b- basketball for me. Uh, football is going downhill. I mean, baseball. <laughs> look at the Yankees if you want to know what analytics have done to the sport. I mean, I'm convinced, that, I'm convinced that you're older than me. I mean, this is ridiculous. You want to? I've never understood the analytics say if you're down 14, go for two the first time. <laughs> Why? It is so much harder to have to go for two the second time than if you have the option to go for two. Because the, the, an, second, the, anal, the analytics say you're going with the negative of, hey, you don't get the two. But if you get the two on the first touchdown, that sets you up to not have to go for two the second time and you're winning instead of tying. That's where how? the win probability added comes in. The negative if is sure. way more significant than the positive if. And like, if, that's, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, Javon. There's I, two scenarios I, to both. I hear you, but one scenario is much more drastic, especially when you don't have a good team. You want to give yourself a chance to win? Stan, I love you. Your best chance to win is to take the game into overtime. You do not have the team to try to have to go for it on a two-point conversion. You just don't. You just don't. Because now when it's Blanket back and smother the field. You've got no receivers or tight ends that know how to create space. And EJ is a true freshman still trying to figure out how to read defenses. Regardless of the 70 hours of film he watches with his dad, he's still learning on the fly. Stop with this. Oh, my goodness. Go for it on two the first time. No, it's stupid. And so are the rest of your spreadsheets and Google Sheets and, and Microsoft Excels and all that crap. It's lunacy. The Lakers can't shoot threes, and they shoot 40 a game. <laughs> what did the Lakers? 19% from three. The Ravens lost six damn games in a row last year off of a damn spreadsheet. When are we going to realize the crap doesn't work? It just doesn't. <laughs> My goodness. The Lakers a- just strike out a home run each time. And guess where they just went? They just got their sorry asses sent home in four to the team they haven't beaten in six years. Javon- Stop talking to me about analytics. Javon's getting some stuff out of the basement right now that has nothing to do with them. There's a lot of stuff I want to take away from that. But the main, number one thing is that you just went on a tangent that wasn't even what the question was about. The question <laughs> was about them going for it on fourth down, and you went on three minutes about why they shouldn't go for it under four, five, 14. I don't disagree, to be honest, but to be the Shannon Sharp to your Skip Bayless on this, I'm going to take the other point, other side. I think I go back a lot in my life when thinking about football to the quote that um, that somebody had when the Eagles beat the Super, uh, the Patriots in the Super Bowl. They said, you don't beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl on Sunday. You beat them on Tuesday when you decide to be aggressive. When you decide, like, going into this game, I'm going to do A, B, and C. I think Stan Drayton's at least aware enough of his team's deficiencies to know like the only chance we have in some of these situations is even if analytics say, Oh, we should be punting. It's fourth and four from our own 40. There needs to be times where I need to trust my gut and be aggressive in order to give myself the best chance of winning and to put my players in the best position to win, because we can't just stand up and line up 11, 11 on them. We're not at that point in our rebuild. So I think there's times when they just need to be more aggressive to do that. When it doesn't work, when you go with the negative, like you just talked about, then like, yeah, it's going to look bad. And you're going to get second guessers. We talked about this in the press box against Rutgers. We're like, why did he do that? That came back to beat him. But if it had worked, Stan Drain looks like a genius. It looks like he trusts his guys. It looks like all this happened. I think it's a combination of when to instill faith in your, in your players, get boost their confidence. And also like they kind of need to, in order to have a chance at these games. And here's my response to that. I've got no problem with being, being aggressive at all. You're talking to a guy who had to go through, whose team had to go through the Patriots a few years. I understand that. You have to be aggressive. Like, I get it. But be aggressive when it's smart. Stan, they, they went for it on the fourth down, like, when, if they failed, Rutgers was damn near in the red zone already. Like, it's stuff like that. If you're going to do it, make it make sense. That's my own thing. And when you say, and he said he trusted his gut cow, I'll be making a different point. I probably wouldn't even mention analytics. But he straight up said out of his mouth Saturday, and you could see my eyes roll, and I tried to hold it in, but you could see my eyes roll. He said, and I quote, I trust my analytics. They don't work. They just don't. The two eyes in a in a bunch of years of common sense can get you any further than some stupid-ass math equation made up by some geeks in Silicon Valley who wish they could have contributed so, to their high school sports. Another, another thing, there, they didn't have a damn another thing from your thing, you 
you talked about how you hate numbers being the sports, and then you cited the Lakers inability. You say it's the Lakers shooting percentage as a reason why they shouldn't be shooting threes. And why? And guess they, what? No, no, that's no, just I a formula, that. Javon. That's just shot complete divide by shot attempts. Don't, don't do that. Now you know that's common sense. If you can't shoot threes, why the hell are you shooting 40, 40 of them? I don't know. I've watched, a lot, I've watched a lot of Temple basketball where that's not common sense. But but, so. but why are they shooting those 43s? Because the numbers say shoot the three. The, the, the numbers said that J.R. Smith shooting a contested three from the corner in 2016 was a better option than giving it to DeAndre. No, than Tristan Thompson in the post. But in, in the world, like this is not me. We're listening to something that says dumb stuff like that. Do we not understand how lost we are as a country now? And we wonder why we're like third in the world power rankings? <laughs> we've, we've lost ourselves. We're idiots now. We're idiots. This has been highly entertaining. I've Euro, gotten... Euro basketball has been attempting a shit ton of threes for 45 years. So Euro, the Europeans were ahead of us on, on that aspect of it. Yeah, but well, well, who still wins the Olympics most of the time? I don't know. I just watched the Redeem team. The first half was a sad was a sad Oh, yeah, part. you're definitely right about that. <laughs> you're definitely right. And I went on a tangent about that in my own head, too. My own head tangent. Love it. Well, that was uh, that was enjoyable. There's some, some person's driving north on 95 right now, and they had to pull over because Javon just scared them. Like <laughs> Just like the sh- random shouting, like, oh, you know what? Just let them calm down, and I'll, I'll take the, the turn off to Wood, Woodbridge or whatever later. Yeah, that was very entertaining. I, I wish I could bottle that moment, Javon. Yeah, <laughs> but we can. I'll clip it and send it to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I would say that we're going to return after a break from our sponsors, but this is the official end of the podcast. We don't have any sponsors yet. Uh, Meundies.com slash the scoop. Talk to you <laughs> next week. <laughs> We'll be back next week to talk about this Navy game, talk a little bit more Temple Hoops. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Scoop on any of the major platforms. Give us a, a rating and review that helps uh, helps raise the not only the, the profile of our podcast on those uh, platforms, but on Temple Sports Talk as a whole. So we greatly appreciate it. Again, I, I don't know what I would do in my day if I did not have that moment right there. That was just that was tremendous. Javon, that was Imagine what you would do if you had coffee. I'm just speaking from the heart. Man. <laughs> you looked tired. I, also, I got yelled at like I was the one that said, Oh, no. I, and I want you to know this is not directed at you whatsoever. I was like, this is just, it's, it's me, buddy. Right know, here. I, I still love you, Kyle. It, it was just, you know, when I hear the analytics, something just, you know, ticks. Fair enough. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.